Hello and welcome to episode 394 of the Crate and Crowbar. We are recording this on the 9th of March 2022. My name is Chris Thurston and huddled with me around this little site of grace is Marsh Davis. Hello. <laughs> and Tom Senior. Hello, it's so cozy and I'm a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Pull my finger. Um... <laughs> Uh, as may has already be obvious, um, we're going to talk about Elden Ring today. And I think, listeners, we should just be honest with you. Here and now, we're probably just going to talk about Elden Ring, to be honest. Because in a kind of... Uh, uh, I can offer you a devil's bargain, which is that the two things that I, I could talk about on this episode of the podcast are Elden Ring and um my first experience of playing the new destiny raid on day one a nine and a half hour attempt to beat one and a half bosses before going to bed um and uh mortified of the discourse that could result from that i think i think instead we should just take a big warm bath in 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 from software's latest and the thing that i find most surprising about this is we're now what is it? A week and a half, two weeks on? I don't know how time works anymore. Some, some, something in that span uh, from the release of this game, Elden Ring, and no one's had any sort of opinion about it that I could see. Um, <laughs> I think we're the first, honestly, <laughs> and uh, it's a real privilege, I think, to be able to be the fifth, the first people to um, muster <laughs> some kind of completely definitive, straight up and down, and an arguable opinion. Of this, uh, I think, a pretty good um, computer game. So yeah, so that's, that's obviously a lot of pressure, but I, I think I think we could just about do it. I I don't know. I think with my twenty three point two hours under my belt, I think I I probably can muster the the most authoritative and definitive opinion on this game. I mean, is anybody else going to be able to beat that that number of hours? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> I could try with my, I think, like uh, twenty point one or something, according to Steam. Um, but you know, which means I'm I'm pretty sure that I'm I'm towards the end. I've certainly fought a boss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I, I mean, I imagine I imagine you're you're in a similar. Oh, absolutely. I mean, similar position. I, I'm just terrified by the idea of putting forward the first takes on this game on the internet and actually sort of the discourse sort of being kick-started by this podcast. Look, I mean, the great thing about this, right, is we also don't inherit, <laughs> we also don't have, we don't inherit any discourse because the the structures and um, pro, the, the, the structures and design ideas underpinning this game are um, broadly liked and uncontroversial and therefore we we wade into a territory that i think is, is pretty familiar at this point mm. it's like uh critiquing mario you know um who's gonna who's gonna come at you with a pair of scissors for that hmm? nobody um so really i think we should all feel very comfortable that uh this is uh <laughs> this is going to go fine <laughs> um we should say by way that um we sort of talked a little bit before recording about like what kind of spoiler thing to put in front of this because we've all played different amounts of it uh tom i believe has played the most um we're going to take a kind of fairly uh you know use our individual judgment approach to to what we consider to be spoilable and not particularly through the lens that like I, I, my my opinion at least is that if you are familiar with Souls games or from software games, then there are things in this that are both surprising and not at the same time, and therefore probably don't come under the 
the realm of spoilers quite but we'll use our judgment needless to say if if you want to uh remain completely ignorant of this game and what it contains which i know is really easy at the moment um, untarnished you might say if you want to remain untarnished hmm, then maybe maybe don't listen to this and just return to your uh twitter free feed devoid of anything about this game um <laughs> but if you would you know if you're willing to tolerate a discussion of the first couple of couple of you know two dozen hours or so of this game then uh, that's what we're going to be talking about i think that, that constitutes a warning and i might finally let this bit go to be honest because um, <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i can i don't think i can take it anymore can i kick off with a question of you yeah, guys please to sort of mm. i mean I, I think long-term listeners of this podcast probably have a good sense of where we come from when it comes to the songs games but is it worth just saying you know which ones have you played and which ones do you like? What's your history with the Soulsborne yeah. oeuvre, Tom? So I've played all of them except all the Souls games except Demon Souls, which I'm currently playing in its remastered form on PS5. Um, my favourites are Bloodborne and Sekiro. Um, I consider them to be completely different games, almost. I consider like Sekiro to be a, a, like a really exceptional action game. Um, which still has a lot of the imagination and um, sense of, you know, case of fiction that exists in the Dark Souls games. Um, Bloodborne is just also perhaps my favourite, I think, overall, just in terms of how it lies in my memory as an experience for just going through all those bosses and sort of finding all those secrets. Um, they are all famed for being punishing action games where you die really quickly and all of your gains are lost and have to be reclaimed by revisiting the site of the boss that you've originally lost to often. So it's uh, an emotional roller coaster in terms of incentivization, in terms of like the stuff that you gain and the stuff that you lose and how it feels to lose that stuff and the sense of loss and how that kind of drives you forward through the, these games is a central part of Dark Souls and Bloodborne and uh, Sekiro, I think. And I think that doesn't translate so well onto this open world format, is what the first thing I would say Ooh. about Elden Ring. Um, Spicy. Mm. How about you, Chris? My uh, Annoyingly, my answer is very similar to Tom's, which is that I have played all of them, and well, except Demon's Souls, which I'm currently playing through on the <laughs> PlayStation <laughs> in its remastered form. Uh, my favorite is Bloodborne um because primarily because i think of its setting but also because of the way ways i i really enjoyed the way that it it mixed up and started to play with with the the combat formula of the series and after bloodborne it's probably sekiro because i think it has the best combat of the series and i think that is still true um but but that's primarily because it's less of an rpg in many ways and more Hmm. of a more of an action game built out of some of the same verbs really um because it took the sort of the sort of high skill ceiling way of playing um dark souls through lots of parries and counters and things like that and built a game around that really um and left some of the the other systems that in dark souls sort of like or in souls games traditionally sort of pad out the fringes of the system like magic and various weapon types and sort of put them aside uh, and sort of focused on just getting one thing really right um so, but I think the way I would frame it is that the Souls games specifically, um, the four of them, um, act as the kind of the core from which all of these experiences have been grown, where, you know, effectively 
in the what they effectively are are these as as you know um punishing action games one way to describe them i would take a different tack and call them like really fundamentally like sort of exploration centric dungeon crawl games uh, in a fairly old school mold Ro- role mm. role playing games in the in the in, in the sense of what it meant when that applied primarily to like ultima or later on games like Ox Fatalis and like those sorts of experiences, um, you know, sort of muted, exploratory, difficult, um, fairly cerebral exploration and combat experiences. And Dark Souls is the kind of um, traditionally, I think, the toolkit from which all of those things have grown in terms of supporting a kind of wine range of fantasy, traditional fantasy roles and play styles. And the kind of the setting itself in in a sort of um, sort of you know uh, dark fantasy, dark you know medieval fantasy setting, and, and the rest of that. And I think both Bloodborne and Sakura spin out from that in a really interesting way. And I think Elden Ring, um, to begin my take on it, sort of in a way that I'm very much enjoying, sort of explodes out from that core mm-hmm. in every possible direction. While, while while sort of in a sort of fractal way like not that it's a generated experience but it feels like um it's sort of all of the fantasy tropes that are so tightly compressed into the first dark souls for example like explode out across a much wider landscape which honestly i think makes many of them sit more comfortably in that kind of in this kind of game but fundamentally, it feels like a, um, almost like a victory lap around territory that's very well mastered at this point, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so that would be my my kind of orientation of myself in that. Marsh, how about you? Oh, I just wanted to say something on, on in reaction to that. Like, I, mm. I think it's interesting to see these games, and like you said, as like Bloodborne and Sekiro as sort of like extensions extrusions really of individual elements that existed within dark souls i think that's sort of true of elden ring although elden ring is more kind of obviously of the dark souls template than it is focused on any single element but then maybe the breadth itself is the thing that is being extruded like it feels like dark souls is a game in which you can has a lot more um, flexibility in the way that you play certainly in comparison to Sekiro and just by adding a truly open world to Elden Ring that seems to be the direction the thing that they are most excited in, in exploring in Elden Ring is the is that sense of freedom mm-hmm. and I think that but what's interesting is that whilst that like you say that kind of makes certain elements of familiar hallmarks of the Dark Souls series sit more comfortably and make more sense. I think from a, a lot of the ways in which Dark Souls sort of um, sets up mysteries within the environment that then by traversing it and exploring it, you begin to unravel. I think that stuff works really well with the open world. I think what's interesting is that as a game which uh, for a long time was uh, epitomized as a, as a sequence of sort of boss battles as being the sort of the, the main kind of thrust of what Dark Souls is, those boss battles, the meaning of them, for me at least, changes quite significantly in Elden Ring. I feel like in Dark Souls, where there are a lot of linear dungeon sections, even if they were interlinked, the bosses felt as much of, the, as much of a challenge and an impediment as they are, they feel like a reward 
as well for exploring mm. those sections. And, mm. and I don't know if you agree with this, but by changing to an open world, they feel sort of much more ancillary in a way uh, to the real meat of the game, which is the exploration of that environment and the leveling up to survive uh, whilst you explore. And so in a strange way, they feel much more kind of um, more of an inconvenience <laughs> than the, the bosses do in Bloodborne or any of the preceding games where the bosses themselves were the sort of centerpiece. Hmm. I'm not sure I wholly agree with that. I think I think the breadth of it, the breadth of the wild, you might say, um, uh, is... It, it, it serves up both, I think. But every time every time the music has kicked in and a big health bar with a name on it has appeared, I have felt that same uh, excitement at discovering something that will have importance. I right. think I think where that is not the case, or is less the case, is the fact that for the first time, there are so many bosses that some of them are repeated. Like some of them are just sort of stock dungeon bosses, including the first boss that I fought in the game, one of the strangest fucking things that uh, I know. I know. So this, you know, this is small facing compared to what's coming in the game, but just one of the strangest fucking freaky dogs they've ever made. And this is a company with a strong track record when it comes to making a freaky dog. Um, but you know, the second time I saw that, I had a bit of a oh, it's this, it's it's this guy with slightly more health, and I'll certainly roly poly around him more efficiently than I did before. Um, it's not quite the same. So in that case, I would agree. But generally speaking, every boss has kind of felt quite special to me. I don't mean, yeah, it didn't mean that in a negative way, particularly. It feels like, they, I like, they feel different, but not particularly better or worse. I just think there's something about the cadence of encountering them within the, within an open world versus like a linear uh, dungeon crawl that makes them f- that makes them land as a sort of beat in a slightly different way. I don't think I dislike it though. I, I, I'm, mm. yeah. I even though they can be kind of a lot of them are, are more easily circumvented than uh, in Dark Souls, but that's better, you know, for better and worse. I mean, that I think, sort of alleviates some of the frustration as well as uh, making them I, feel slightly more kind of sidelined in some ways. I guess we're getting straight into Elden Ring, but so I, I, I was sort of, I, I am honestly like, I was joking earlier, like, I'm not. I'm not sure necessarily that I'm here with like a huge take on this, right? To mm. offer, like, other than I think it's a, it's a very, very, very good game. But one of the reasons, but I wanted, I played it for an hour before we started recording today, with no real objective other than just like trying to. Um, I know that I, I couldn't really describe where I'm at as a mid-game experience by any means, but you know that point. All of these, all of these games reach a point where you become comfortable in the environment to some extent i don't know if you both know what i mean by that there's definitely a point where it's like i can get most places without without crisis Mm. um i can i I will know fairly quickly if i'm in the wrong place i will know fairly quickly if i what i can survive and what i can't and i feel like and i have weapons and equipment that i'm pretty happy with and that i've invested time and, and resources leveling up and so some things about the experience have sort of settled a little bit for me. And I mean, and those, those, those experiences can be upset by things that happen later in the game or, you know, thrown up in the air by new environments or new enemies and so on. But I feel like all of these games follow these, these patterns of like, um, you know, plateaus, I guess you reach where, you know, you're kind of testing at the limits of what you can do. And Elden Ring, because it is so extraordinarily open, it's such a big game 
um today i kind of without intending to do this i sort of organically went on like three or f- in the in the hour and a bit i played three or four separate expeditions from sites of grace or bonfires that i've unlocked around the world map um you know i'm now at the position where i'm really breaking out in in every direction from from the 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 zone effectively that you start in and so and in each of the in those times i had what i would describe as like three quite distinct adventures even though they were directed by me that had moments in them that were clearly authored and that uh, and that felt like they each in each case the way i would put it is this despite this being an open world game in each case my little expedition led to something i really didn't expect in or something that subverted the pattern so i realized that a a cave in the near the starting area had been added to my map um because i had ridden past it and um i hadn't explored it so in a sense of completeness i went and explored it and inside there was a boss that i killed very easily because i'm more powerful for it but then um you know past the boss the like teleport to dungeon entrance little thing there was a thing on the ground that said don't stop and i realized that the cave kept going and and it kept going and i found something else and it led me to a whole different area and a whole different kind of set of surprises similarly um uh ride across a spooky bog led to a bunch of different things and then a side turn and then a, i discovered a secret and i found an item all of this stuff proceeding organically from just things that happened to me as players in that case i found the item not because of a player message but because in the course of a fight i rolled through some boxes and found a hidden passage um and then finally where i am now um in um i have i found i i knew that i'd, I'd played too much without hitting a, a, a blight town so i found a blight town <laughs> um in this case caleb the big red bog oh, and God. and um but i started exploring and i found what looked like a kind of either a jumping puzzle or an exploit something in the souls games love where it's like am i supposed to be climbing this um and then through that i found a whole fucking sense fortressy fucking dungeon like very constructed space that i'm now i now have a, a bonfire inside it and now i'm exploring that and it feels like being deep in a traditional souls game in what would otherwise be uh, a structure on my critical path and that set of experiences just in like an hour's play feels really extraordinary to me it's something that i can only really say that i've previously got from breath of the wild as a way of consistently generating these little adventures out of um an open world in a way that doesn't feel like ticking items off a list or that i am um or that I am simply rinsing through templated content, if that makes sense. And I'm, I'm really impressed by that. Yeah, I've, um, I think I'm about midway in the game, based on sort of like bits and pieces I've read online. Um, and I've I've gone through those experiences, but I've also entered uh, a patch of like co- complete malaise with the open world, where I was just wandering around, wandering into dungeons, and just uh, you know going through them and completing them quite easily. And basically, there's there are choke points where there are some just vital bosses, where the game won't move forward, and all the NPCs can't move forward until you've conquered those particular challenges. Um, and actually, I'm really interested in the NPCs in this game, like the the ones you just sort of pick up in random shacks around the place, just mm. you know, in random corners. Uh, uh, many of them have like multi stage quest lines and things that you can sort of progress through different environments. But there are certain bosses that just like put a, a ceiling on all of that, and until you've gotten past that challenge, you can't progress them. Um, and 
uh, in the open world context, you know how um, in Dark Souls, all, all those NPCs, like, they're always static. Uh, and they sort of, like, they sit there and they whisper things to you and then laugh um, until you've completed their sort of bits and pieces and then they just vanish and they reappear. Um, there are a few sequences and ways in which they are supposed to move around the world where that feels quite a lot like I'm going through a fun fair of these mm. sort of like mannequins that stand there until you've done beaten certain things and come back to them. Then they vanish yeah. and reappear in the same pose again. And if uh, I think with the open world comes, um, I think there are certain expectations that I carried with me into this game um, after a few hours where I expected there to be more from the NPCs. I expected almost more like uh, emotion and animation just in the uh, the NPC models themselves in order to push the story forwards and to give you direction. Um, so the way the game gives you direction vaguely is to, uh, one of you at rest at, um, you know, what would in uh, Dark Souls be a bonfire, uh, here is a site of grace, which is also an interesting phrasing um and then there'll be some glowing particles that go off to where you should sort of like vaguely wondering and i'm i think it's great that it doesn't point you directly at stuff i think it's cool that it doesn't put like absolute objective markers on the boss that you need to do next but i think that in combination with the kind of vagueness of the npc journeys and where you're supposed to go next i think like in this it just um, I've lost track of all the stories that I started mm. and I'm sort of halfway through multiple stories and I think I might have broken some of them and I don't know why. Um, so I've, I found it like quite unsatisfying as a narrative game in a way that I didn't find that with even Dark Souls, which is um, really like it takes a lot of interpretation to get through to Dark Souls' true plot. But I still felt as though I was going through different phases of gods and learning about their environments and stuff it's hard to describe really it just feels yeah. directionless in a way that is quite frustrating sometimes i think i i kind of agree and at the same time like haven't really minded in a way like i've been sort mm. of like the thing that has impressed me is the opposite which is that like every time i have gone somewhere i have found something cool to do which is not a given right like However, what that has led me to is very much encountering NPCs and things out of order and I think almost certainly breaking a few quest lines. I don't want to spoil anything, but I got one of the funniest. Um, there is a, uh, it's not a spoiler, so there is a circumstance in which an NPC can die. This is often the case in Souls games where if you do certain things a certain way, the next time you go back to where the NPC is, they're dead. That's, that's a fairly common trope in these games. That is yep. possible in Elden Ring. I won't say where or with whom, except that the site of their death is extremely grisly and unambiguous and if you walk up to them you get a prompt for inspect uh, and you press inspect and a little little dialogue pop-up comes up to say they're dead which is one of the funniest like okay like i <laughs> and i'm like uh-huh yeah <laughs> thanks i guess i am columbo like um um but uh like what i i guess what i mean is like my familiarity with the games in the setting so i guess where i think it lives for me is like I think if this was someone's entryway into these kinds of games, which I imagine is going to be for, for a lot of people, it's been so successful, then I my assumption is that for a lot of people, the magic of how unusual these games are and the sort of the the magic trick of its light touch guidance, which I think um, is, is something that maybe bears unpacking a little bit more, 
um, is sufficient for people to, to, to worry less about what they're missing out on. Similarly, I've played enough of these games that I've sort of decided to not care about what I'm missing out on because I assume I'm going to miss a ton and I will find out about half of it from Wikipedia or wiki pages later. And I sort of just accepted that. So in this case, you know, I've had quests go all out of order because I've clearly killed the boss and got the item that the NPC wants me to get for them. And now they're kind of stuck. So I know to kind of go to a bonfire and come back and see how that moves them along and all the kind of jank of that. But I think you're right, Tom, that there's like a sort of, it's like a curve of comfort with that. And I think the way I've tried, like where you can become really uncomfortable with it on your journey, become comfortable with it again. And the only reason I've kind of managed to stay comfortable is by actually really limiting myself to a certain number of things at a time. Like I've tried not to wander beyond like the thing I have set myself so that I can keep it in my head what's going on. Um, but even then, I'm fully aware that, I don't know, Jeremy Swords, the big boy, has told me to find his favorite donkey. And I've completely forgotten what its name is. And that was 15 hours ago. <laughs> I, I have absolutely no idea what's going on at all. So I think uh, both of you are ahead of me in that regard. Um, I've just... I mean, I do find that the open world is producing a certain amount of anxiety in me about where I should be going, which is appropriate for my level. I haven't really found that the little glowing trail of light from the not bonfires particularly useful in that regard. Um, I don't, it hasn't seemed to match up particularly with areas that are approachable for me on my level. But um, I don't know that that's a worse anxiety though than in souls where other souls games rather where you you know what's ahead of you and you just have to suffer through it um regardless of how appropriate it feels for your level because the mm. only other way to get through it is to grind and in this there feels like there's lots there's lots more options and there's lots of places you can go and get lost which won't be too challenging for you they might not be the right place for you to be in adverted commas but it it you know it's sort of exchanging one anxiety for another and i don't think that's an unfair trade but um it still uh, it feels uncomfortable at points, but I guess that's part of the course. Uh, I do have like a bigger problem though with that sense of openness and experimentation, is that I think the just translating the Dark Souls style stat sheet um, from those Dark Souls games is a disaster for this. Um, I just think that it the requirements to try out new things are prohibitive to the extent that it locks off loads of fun and experimentation in the game. Um, mm. Speaking uh, not just about the stat requirements required on your stat sheet to wield a weapon effectively in terms of like dexterity or strength or whatever you might need to have to uh, actually brandish a weapon, uh, but also just as you progress through the zones, you need to upgrade your weapons with shards. And in order to get shards, you just need to farm them. If you want to experiment, you just need to farm those things. And I just think that farming through areas was the thing I've done a lot in Bloodborne for like, uh, you know, healing points and stuff that felt so wrong for that game and just feels even worse in this game where there are so many more, so there's, there's so many weapons and so, there's so many more powers and ashes that you can attach to your weapons and different ways of kind of, you know, equipping yourself. And the fact that that they've there are all these it feels like legacy mechanics that just feel really prohibitive to me in this one. 
Well, it's interesting because there are ways around that uh, that I, I discovered by allowing myself to be spoiled on these things um, <clears throat> that mean you don't need to farm stuff exactly. Uh, but I don't know quite why they're so obfuscated. And it feels like my, I, I, I kind of agree with you. Like I'm, I've ended up still just using the same starting weapons I had. Yeah, um, I put as well. a lot of put a lot of you know, resources into making them better. And all of the all of the you know the weapons that seem more promising that I'm picking up are woefully underpowered. And I just don't have enough of the basic upgrade materials in order to make them anywhere near comparable so there's a sort of i know i know that if i had surplus of that stuff then that might change the maths but the currently there's a huge sort of sunk cost uh preventing me from picking that stuff up and i think it's because just way later in the game than you might expect you do end up with a way of accessing those basic uh materials in a uh, in a surplus and so suddenly you gain this freedom um to experiment but it it comes so much later in the game and it's there's so many things barricading you from that or even barricading you from realizing that that's the kind of thing you're meant to do because it's completely unintuitive and nobody tells you (laughs) in the game i i don't know quite why they made that choice because if i you know if Maybe maybe they just are asking you to make your peace with starting weapons and to tell you those starting weapons are good enough. You don't really need to to mess around. I don't really know what it's trying to say, to be honest. But I, I think it's interesting that it's so much of the game's um, systems are hidden in ways which I think you would need the internet to discover uh, mm. realistically or word of mouth. Uh, it seems like it's it's the game is built around. I mean, as the previous games are with the whole uh, the, the message writing system and those kind of you know, you know the whispers of the community about hmm. what to do and where to go. But this game seems far more reliant, just in terms of accessing fairly basic things, um, on just going to a wiki or googling it. Um, I, I don't know if that's satisfying or that's really clever. <laughs> it's not. I'm not yeah, sure. I think. Um, I sort of like, I, I definitely agree with that. Like, I think I've had a moment, I had a moment today where I finally, I finally got strength to the point where I can use this massive sword I've got. And because it, you know, in the meantime, as I've been getting leveling to that point, I've been using and upgrading a different weapon. It's much worse than the weapon I've been using. And I am going to make a conscious, I do have a surplus of materials. I'm going to make a conscious effort to upgrade it and try it out. But I also know that I'm moving in a certain direction with my tool set that will limit me. And I'm probably never going to touch magic, for example, or anything like that yeah. in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, I'm so underleveled for magic now that I, I'd, and it's, it's costing me so many souls, whatever they're called in this it, runes, sorry, to, to upgrade a single level that I'm never, ever going to upgrade. Magic yeah. Now. The whole after you has gone. Yeah. That, that's really true. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because um, there's a huge number of aerial enemies in this game, which I don't <laughs> think are really compatible with the, the any kind of melee system. Uh, uh, yeah, um, bird ahead. So try jumping. Um, mm. <laughs> like, um, but what I would say is, I think there's like, but I find this really fascinating. Like, I don't disagree with any of the frustrations or discomfort that you've kind of outlined, because I think, I think there is a different game to be made where you can freeform experiment. I think there's there's something there's a and maybe this is a bit arch of me but like i feel like there's like a really desired a a very clearly desired experience which of which is of this sort of personal navigation 
of this very wide hostile world right and there are little moments where you get help either in game or out of it to kind of tilt you put you through that i do think it actually consciously leans on the way players interact with out of game material um uh, in order to kind of like shape that experience but you were kind of one person navigating this very broad again sandbox that everyone else is going to kind of describe a different path through starting with character creation and in that way it's more like a multiplayer game Hmm. where the or, or an mmo or something where the the intent is not that every player experiences everything but every player has a relatively unique experience of the thing and that i think is i think that's a very i think for a game that's been as popular and is as widely liked as this is i think that's quite a controversial way to approach this because the expectation in other games like this is that you will necessarily eventually get all of the powers you will necessarily get access to all the play styles and i think it's a a choice like it's certainly a choice to make that prohibitively hard to achieve yeah um, I th- weirdly i think that is actually uh backed up to some extent by the the law mm. of elden ring in as much mm. as it is apparent to me but i mean just to, to look at dark souls as a sort of um parody or subversion of the hero's journey where you are this singular chosen one but you know spoilers for dark souls put your fingers in your ears for 10 seconds it turns out there have been lots of other chosen ones and in fact you know you're just a, a pawn but in in this it's quite explicit from the beginning that you are one of many other people doing the same thing all vying and in contention for this this same goal so i think there's sort of like a mechanical uh in the way that all of these games um sort of intertwine their world building with the mechanics in quite uh intelligent ways i think to some extent that's the idea that you are all these individual people on your own paths um but all 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 occurring simultaneously in the same world is is sort of presupposed by the the way that it's the the law and the mechanics are set up yeah yeah i'd agree with that but i think like fundamentally though if you've got loads of amazing powers and abilities in your game like (laughs) if you even like if you can't access them just having an accurate description of what they do (laughs) <laughs> would be kind of nice uh, and you know it doesn't need a, like a video or anything or anything but like even just you know a, a, there's a law description and there's also a sort of stat description that again uh you know it's very much like a dnd stat sheet type analysis of what this thing might do uh, there's no sense when you pick up a new spell as to what it like actually will do to an enemy and until you're able to equip it and use it in combat and for the vast majority of them you can't yeah. It's hard to know how many of these things are mistakes and how much is actually designed intentional trolling slash you know friction as the game design mm. term yeah. goes. I mean, uh, there's an, uh, an interesting slash intolerable debate online about the UI, uh, but it was it was interesting to me that I, I uh, you know there are many many ways in which the AI is is graceless and and clunky. I mean, just to quit the game takes ten button presses, but that I mean, they can't. That can't have escaped their notice, <laughs> you know. No, there is true. there is a reason that all that stuff is like that. Um, but there's, there's other stuff better, like better and worse. Like I just I just don't know how to approach criticism of some of these things because it's hard to ascribe intentionality or whether you should, even should. Um, but you can but only even, say whether it's satisfying to yourself or not. Yeah, but even like so, there's mechanics like you can um, blend your own 
potions is a mechanic that happens in the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. The wondrous physic. Yeah. Uh, but in order to actually, you know, uh, you know, first of all, figure out how on earth that all works actually to, you know, equip one, actually fielding one in combat is just an actual button press nightmare <laughs> uh, amid everything else that's happening. And I, I, there comes a point where I just think, they're like summoning your horse and like having you know having to hold a button in order to access a different thing to a set of menus in order to quick access something that's yeah. not quick access anymore <laughs> if you have to do that there's just like loads of stuff that i think is just basic just uh, letting people who want to press buttons and in and engage with the game i think there's just stuff that goes beyond just uh you know narrative friction and goes into mm. stuff that just is not very good yeah, I, I do kind of disagree with that. I think, but but I don't disagree with. I don't think that the sentiment is wrong. Like I, I sort of have a different. Well, I'll put it this way: I had a different relationship with it. In the one thing I have liked about the game is that it has allowed me to configure the UI, um, or it feels like I have learned how to configure a Souls game inventory in a way that makes it maximally usable for me. So, for example, the only two sort of down button press items I have equipped are my two flasks or my three flasks, basically the health flask, the magic flask and the one-off wondrous physic. And that has sort of solved the problem for me of flicking between them. And I feel like I've gotten used to that. Similarly, I have my kind of hold down Y menu set up in a way that now summoning my goat horse is super quick. And I don't think that like, it's an interesting thing for me because I think, you know, Marsh said friction and I think that is a big part of it for me, but I, I appreciated that the options were there, whether or not, and mm. and I, I could not tell you whether I would pref have preferred that the game pull me aside into a tutorial about how to do that. I'm more glad that it was there for me to do. And this is, uh, this is, this is, I'm going to take a journey to Spice Town, so forgive me. But I think for me, and this is a, this is a forgiving take, the friction in these games is uh an intentional um choice it evokes a set of feelings that are intentional i think that for me something i really love about these games um and it's a very nostalgic thing is the the it, they 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 summon in me the feeling that i used to get playing role playing games and ultima and stuff as a, as a kid when i was very young which was that these games were so big and they had so many systems in them i would never possibly understand them all and that every magic spell I didn't understand gestured at a play style that sort of um, was out of reach for me, but was in reach for somebody and maybe me one day and, and so on. And I really like that feeling. I, I, I actually prefer it in some ways to knowing that I will be expected to understand everything um, in order to progress or incorporate every new thing I encounter into my play loop of, of whatever kind. I really like it. I think it's an aesthetic. And I think for me, one of the um follies of one of the interesting things about ux generally i think is that ux really hates you know a lot of ux sort of uh, i'm not saying the whole discipline but a lot of um uh sort of standardized practices or best practices are all about removing the configurability of those environments because if you if you can reconfigure it you can potentially make it less intuitive or less slick for yourself but actually um, and obviously, uh, but in that sense, sometimes opposed to 
what uh, is needed for accessibility, which is often more to do with configurability than simplicity. Um, it's often more to do with the ability for people to configure a, uh, a UI to their taste. And I think these games certainly have tremendous issues with, with uh, accessibility of every kind and with the kind of flow of that UX. But at their core is this sort of like fucking builder build a play style workshop that you enter where you really do build out that side of the game for yourself to some extent. Mm. And I think, and I think the, I find that personally like, um, and I find it comforting that I will be able to invest heavily in my niche of the game in doing that for myself and still be able to progress and still be able to play through the game. But I agree that that comes at the expense of every option available to me being easily sort of cycled into my experience at any time. I tell you what, there is, I mean, for one thing, I, I think that freedom also gives you a lot of rope to hang yourself. But right. Uh, but but in in one instance, like just the amazing clusterfuck of, of those uh, those hot button swapping things produced an effect for me which was which was exactly right for the game which is that uh i'm a stabby little melee boy character and um i'm not very strong and so i wanted to shoot a a bad winged man with a crossbow but i'm I'm not strong enough to use a crossbow single-handed so this means i have to uh press left on the d-pad and then uh y and then left shoulder button or maybe right shoulder button. It's, it's I can't right even remember. And I think you'll mind. <laughs> the point was that the complexity of pulling out a crossbow and firing it really did match <laughs> difficulty <laughs> that my character within that fiction would have doing something quite so complicated in the midst of combat. Um, and although, you know, at the time I'm thinking, you fucking piss boy Mizazaki, god damn you, it actually, um, yeah, I have to admit, it was that, that was the right level of friction for that interaction. But I don't think that's, you know, I don't know that that's that's intentional. That shouldn't be the case for, like, throwing a flask. No, uh, that's that's exactly (laughs) it. It's like, if I was to physically throw a flask, I'd just throw it from a belt, and that would be it. (laughs) I I wouldn't have three to four button presses in order to do it and have to sort of also be dodge rolling at the same time. Uh, I just think it's clumsy stuff. Like, it just feels really, at this stage, stage, just to me, felt clunky and horrible to go through all of those items, especially when, like, it's a whole different facet of the game and crafting stuff. Um, and also just oh, making your own potions and stuff. I mean, uh, I, I I feel sad that I have to pick up loads of flowers in this game, like a, for for basically no reason that I can. I've not encountered any particularly great potions or anything. I really need to take at any given point. The flasks are everything, um, apart from unless like occasionally there might be. Oh, here's a lightning boss. I need some lightning grease or whatever. Um, that whole aspect of the game feels redundant to me as well just a kind of tokenistic not to open world games i don't know yeah it seems like an that seems like an odd um choice to include in a, in a series which is otherwise you know otherwise so happy to plow its own furrow that they decided to stick quite a superficial sort of crafting bump in there just to sort of pad out the open world i think that's if i was going to list uh my disappointments with the game um there aren't many that are significant but that would probably be at the close to the top i just have no interest in the crafting and uh, it just feels like fluff and adding just needless complexity to those menus which are already quite overloaded 
Yeah, uh, and also it sort of ties into my only other really complaint with the game is that uh, those open areas and horse combat, I hate. Oh, really? really? Uh, I really yeah. like horse combat. I really hate it. Uh, I find yeah. it to be like really sloppy. Um, I think it might be because my build is based on like lots of dodge rolling and then blocking. You can't block mm. on horseback and there's lots of technique. There's no technique to horseback. You just ride up and hit and then ride away and that's it. Right. I mean, I, I, so my my playstyle is all about. I'm basically playing Monster Hunter. I'm just the biggest, slowest weapons I can find, and I quite like the 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 weird like the. It's very like I actually. It's funny that you say that because I had the conversation with a friend the other day about how natural an extension of Souls Combat it feels to me, where it's like now I have to remember that if I'm in an open field fight, the horse is like the other thing available to me. So in addition to my other moves and like special moves attached to the weapons and the act, you know, the ashes and that kind of thing. Uh, there is also the, the special combo horse. And the, the thing I have really enjoyed is that a lot of the big open world bosses are kind of built for you to take advantage of like several different sort of modes of combat of which horse is now on. So like you're chasing the boss on horseback and like chopping at its legs to stun it and then leaping off the horse to do a kind of critical hit when it's, you know, poise is broken and then back on the horse to dodge an attack that you're fast enough to dodge on the horse, but not on foot. And like, I've really enjoyed like getting more comfortable with that flow. I think like, and also for me, it just sort of has a good um, momentum to it. Like, the 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 sort of the heavy weapon drag it along the ground and swing it upwards animation is just satisfying enough that that hasn't stopped being fun to me to like time that well and like smack someone in the face as you turn the horse past them like the joustings to feel to it um i really like it yeah i've not found terrible amounts of success with horse combat i, I don't know if uh you need a, a weapon of particular reach to be more effective with it i think reach makes a big difference yeah right yeah because I, I, often i'm right next to an enemy uh that i've locked onto and i'm literally clipping into their model and i'm just wailing at it and not hitting anything mm. and that that feels odd to me but uh on the whole i've you know i, I think the horse the horse just as a sort of um uh, escape module is is really useful like <laughs> there's so many scrapes in the game just like mm, bye-bye gonna get off on my rocket horse i do have a very long sword maybe that has made a difference here uh, yeah I, i've uh, there are some battles where you basically have to use a horse because they mm. um all of their attacks are designed to be massively area of effect and to um defy the classic dark souls technique of getting behind the haunch of the thing and just swinging away and um to the game's credit like it, it it's hard to do that for almost any boss to be honest uh so it's cool to have like a way to get around that and get away from it um but again i just like I often like ride up alongside and sort of not like a drive-by horsey attack but like because i have to stop and then I have to swing over and over again until I see them starting to swing and then I, you know, sprint away and then come back again. And it's not a jousting match and it feels so artificial. And it's to me, it just is a really unsatisfying way to kill an enemy. Um, it feels as though, yeah, I've not really kind of... hasn't taken advantage of any of the abilities or equipment that I've gathered across the course of the campaign as an RPG. Um I don't, I'm not sure there's any way to upgrade the horse or upgrade your horse ability. So you're just there on a horse hitting a thing 
and then flying away and then coming back, hitting it a bit. Oh, it's just, I just maybe it's maybe I just good. got very lucky and I have the weapon type where that isn't the case. Like because the mm. with the great weapons, it is a hit and run thing. You you get one hit and you have to time it in advance so that it's like as you're coming in, you ready the attack and then have to kind of judge it so that you can kind of swing past or go underneath whatever's coming towards you and then slice up into them. It feels really good, but I think maybe that's mm. limited to weapons of a certain size. Um, and then there's a a whole way of playing where you just have a cool staff and you're awesome Gandalf and then you just sort of like on a wizard and throw stuff at people and I'd love <laughs> to try that out but I can't because yeah fair. I, I'd have to I mean I put how many hours into this game there are ways to respect your stats but I wouldn't even know where to start with like an intelligence build to do like a full wizard build like mm. uh, and that that stuff feels frustrating to me where I could see where I want to be a wizard but and I think oh maybe I'll just rebuild my whole character but then it's such an ordeal and it, there's so much sunk cost into the equipment that you've built for yourself where it's not actually, you pick your role a bit too early in this game, I think. Um, you have to commit to your role, the, 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 the type of fantasy you're occupying too early without being able to experience what it's like to be any of the roles that are on offer. Mm. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I would say that there's a sort of... A, concession uh to that which doesn't really doesn't really compensate for it but i mean you you have ash summons in this game which is sort of one of the 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 biggest ways in which this game is more approachable and perhaps easier than other soulsborne games where you always have access to these these specters that you can summon and you can you know um if you're not a magic build and a, a particular boss battle seems like it would demand some sort of range combatant, then you can, you know, find the Ash Summons, which summon a, a wizard boy in your stead. But yeah, on, on, on the whole, I'd, I'd, I'd say I, I do I do feel a little bit too locked in now to um, the build I've gone for. I can definitely see that being the, the issue there arising if, if you're like not having fun with your build. I think that's definitely like, it's such an, it's such a tricky thing, isn't it? Because I, I, I like, I f- I'm finding it more manageable because I feel like I'm on my path and I'm not tempted to stray from it. And therefore I'm crafting a bit, but not, I don't feel the need to explore the whole system. I'm expanding my arsenal a bit, but within a particular category of weapons that I have decided to get good at in this version of this game. Um, but that is like it. I, well, I wonder to what extent I'm meeting the game more than halfway with that. But if, I guess what I'm getting at is it feels like there's a sort of um, a fundamental split where for me the the lack of the lack of possibility that I could go branch out into every part of the system is making the game more digestible for me. Whereas I can understand that the opposite is true if you find yourself wanting to change and unable to. I think it it it's not. Um... I don't mind being locked in with with the opportunity to try other things, but there is no opportunity to try other builds. Like there's no kind of mechanical way to suddenly sort of you know go and try out an intelligence build or have ever experienced what it is yeah. like to wield a staff or a stave and throw spells from range. That you sort of um, and also the way the game presents you with your classes is pure like what fancy. How do you want to be dressed and look in this world? And says nothing about like. What does this mean for your character in the longer run? And 
the the respec option is tied to a boss as well, which I also think isn't great. <laughs> um, in terms of for a more open game, um, for where you want to go everywhere, and that offers you so many options, I, I feel like it's it's carried over some pretty uh, the restrictions. I feel are pretty tight in this game in a way that I haven't felt in Souls games. Uh, perhaps because that's just part of that franchise, and I've sort of mm. put them in different categories in my mind. How open are you, Tom, to uh, summons? And do you, do you feel like that's cheapening the experience, or do you do? You... No, not at all. I lo- I love them. I I love collecting them, and I want to upgrade all of them. But again, uh, that requires items that you need to grind to get. Oh, I didn't. I didn't specifically mean Ash summons. I meant any kind of summons. Like, I mean, I, I feel like in other games, other Souls games. Uh, there's a sense in which you should try the boss by yourself the first time. Oh no, I'll summon um, when I'll summon as soon as I get annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like uh, I don't mind. There, there are a few um, uh, bosses I've encountered where summons just aren't useful at all, and also people just don't lay their signs around there because uh, mm-hmm. people lay down their signs where um, it's most convenient, basically in order to get a quick kill. Um, so uh, no, I'll summon. I'm no problem with summoning. I think that's awesome. I love that mechanic. Because that seems to me to be the the major pressure valve that all of these games have is that uh, whenever there's something that's locked behind a boss or the boss becomes a, a, a problem or an impediment to your progress, you can just phone a friend and then they'll crouch around you and stand and jump and, and then eventually just mash the boss for you. I feel uh, such an whenever I get like a summon in a boss fight, I feel such an intense responsibility to not die at all. <laughs> just oh, yeah. not waste their time like it's, I don't know it's you terrible guys. performance anxiety isn't yeah it? for sure I, mean, I know that as soon as somebody kind of rises from the glowing mists i'll just i'll immediately dodge roll off a cliff <laughs> <laughs> i do a little salute then we go in and then the guy just smashes me with his one hit kill and i'm like oh yeah there are two there are two funny kind of uh, experiences i think with with summons in these games one is your the only summon available to you is like a totally naked man with a bug on his head called like numinous bumbo and he does the entire boss fight for you while like backwards <laughs> and you don't do anything or you summon like a a fucking mega anime armored spiky man um called like you know god slayer 95 um, with a like eight foot katana over his shoulders and a, a demon mask, who walks in and gets instantly killed. <laughs> and That's those, really, really true. Those uh, are the Chris, two. Like uh, whenever a naked man called Bumbo calls in, I know I've got a pro on my hands. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Their build is going to be so good <laughs> that they just don't need clothes anymore. And it's They've always got... like a bit of an anticlimax. Like you want them to respect you, so you're like salute. You walk in, and then they suddenly like stun locked the boss, and then they hit it in the face <laughs> twice, and it's dead. <laughs> I love I, so it's an amazing mechanic. I'm glad it's still in here. It's hard to, uh, given how many bosses there are in this game. Like, it's uh, I find it hard to get summons because yeah, uh, I, I, there are so so many. It's incredible. I love it. By the way, that's one of the things I really love about this game is that you can wander into a random dungeon and see a thing that you've never seen in any other Souls game or any other video game. That con- you know is supposed to be a boss, um, and some have become memes already. Uh, so I won't spoil any. But um, what, uh, I feel like I've been a bit negative so far. So I wanted to just sort of like make clear that I really, really enjoying this one, and I'm going to play it for a long, long time until I finish it. 
uh, because the sheer like kind of wild absurdity of the creatures and bosses and things that you encounter that try to kill you is just way beyond any Souls game, I think. Like, uh, just extraordinary ideas for what a, a boss can be. Um, and also just embracing... I'm trying to think of, like, sort of the approval process for what a boss is allowed to be in Elden Ring. <laughs> and the fact that it's, you know, it's, it's ostensibly like a very serious game about a doomed civilization that's clapped in on itself. Um, and the fact that, you know, lots of, you know, different cultures have kind of, like, are mashed together in a chaotic environment, in a sort of purgatory. And then... I don't know. There's a, there's a big eagle that's got knives as feet, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure George R. R. Martin didn't sign off on that. No. And then they're like, oh yeah, okay, well that's in. Um, and that's, I mean, there is so much more nuts stuff in it. Like some of the main bosses are just like really absurd. There's a, like there's an absurdity to the design and the way they move around and kind of what they are that is really it's like extraordinary and drives me through this game and w- makes me want to see the next thing and the next area and it's a beautiful game in many places as well like it, the, the, whenever you you know open big doors into a new place it is amazing um and i can't really say i don't want to spoil anything like because i know lots of people haven't encountered various parts of the world but there's stuff in there that i'll be like how is that allowed to be in this game that is supposed to be very you know all oh, this heavy lore, you know, Dark Souls. Wow, all of this, you know, you know, it's is it's this is the great piece of narrative design, the greatest ever created in video games. Um, yeah, and then Eagle knives his feet, the breeze fire, because <laughs> it's got a kind of jowly fire testicle on its face. Yep. Um, um, yeah, that's just one example of so many things that like you'll encounter in this game that make it. I think. To kind of tie the two things together, like I think that's kind of why I'm enjoying it so much is I'm kind of happy with my build and I'm enjoying that. And it doesn't give me too many difficult choices to make, but I'm kind of plodding along, progressing in a way that I'm finding fun. And that progression, rather than it being the sort of somewhat linear grind, not linear or like branching to to a degree, um, progress through a Demon Souls, which I'm also playing at the moment, or Dark Souls, it's like this big set of sort of um adventures that can take different amounts of time and require different things from me with more of them available at any time and i think that's a really interesting approach to the um to making the rewards of a souls game accessible to to more accessible to players and to more players without necessarily toning down the difficulty or 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 a traditional way of making the difficulty optional is like want to see a mad thing go fucking anywhere honestly <laughs> just go fucking anywhere yeah. for a bit you'll see something mad or you'll discover an interaction or something will happen and if you go on the critical path we'll put some really mad shit there but if you can't get there straight away because the boss is too hard there are so many more ways to go away and, and increase your power level in addition mm. to things like summons that then you'll kind of get there eventually like um and i think honestly like and the I don't know whether it's like playfully in dialogue with the history of this series or to what extent, I think it's true to an extent, but to what extent that is driving these decisions. Because there is both this earnest love of this very gribbly dark fantasy that kind of comes through every part of this game. And then also just a certain amount of like, um, 
a, 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 a sense of humor and a cheekiness that is like, I think genuinely, uh, I, I was having a, a conversation recently in a work context about the, the, I mean, there's so many things I could, direction to take this in, but like, I think, I think a sense of authorship is very important to almost all media. Not that the author is or isn't dead. Let's not get into that. But so much as like, we have a very intimate relationship with the people we perceive to be making the things we're encountering, particularly when those things are challenging in any medium, where whether it's a challenging, whatever challenging means in the thing that you're encountering, whether it's music or books or film or anything. And I think um, that the importance of that perceived relationship is often overlooked in games, partly because uh, of the, the way in which you know, creators are presented generally, but also because of the amount of mechanical things in the player's path and the amount of things that are mechanical in nature. This becomes particularly true with any game with a generated aspect or a generative story or something like that. Um, the player has to take on more and more of the author's role in pulling stories out of that. And I think this, this game particularly, because it's so big and there isn't like a generated element to it, but it's so large that there's a sort of, um, there's an area where that could, you could start to get some of that feeling but there's such a consistent sense of the personality of the people making it and their love of very particular, very strange things. Like if the encounter table, if this was a tabletop role playing game, the encounter, the random encounter table when you're on the road would be like 25% the worst dog you've ever seen. 25%. Um, what if it was just some kind of fucked up night guy, I guess. And then the other 50% is like a complete like wild card zone where it could be anything. And, um, and I sort of, I love how wonky and uneven and, and strange, but also like deeply authored it is. It's, it's like, it's very unlike, I think almost anything really like in a game of this kind. Yeah. I, it's also, yeah, I completely agree. It, it, it That's what really kind of keeps me going with this because like, the, this almost like um, a filter that might exist in a stage series of fantasy novels that doesn't exist for this, where like if you're reading the Wheel of Time and suddenly an eagle with knives for feet <laughs> comes in, not it's not gonna make the cut. But there's some there's a, there's a, a certain um, determined freedom to this to the, th the things, the weird creatures and chimeras it puts in front of you and just the strange places it puts you into that is just really refreshing, like relentlessly refreshing. As as Chris, as you say, like wherever you wander around, you'll find something flipping <laughs> weird to find. <laughs> and, and the fact that it, it it's weird because like, especially given that George R.R. R. Martin is tied to this as well and obviously like Game of Thrones or it's a whole you know, self-contained fiction. Um, and then coming into this thing that his name is tied to, and then Miyazaki as well, but also From Software. I feel like it's most, this is mostly From Software, it feels to me. Like, this feels like so many concepts they've come with, that come up with over the years that have just gone into this thing. Like, that's what it feels like to me, where it's like, yeah, there's the freedom to go to a random dungeon and have this weird half dog thing. <laughs> Being yeah, your worst enemy. Jon Snow never clobbered a sentient pot on the bottom before. <laughs> so many pots again. That, yeah, that's a great example. Why is it always behind? As a... yeah, exactly. Um, I <laughs> but, think yeah. Sorry, go much. Well, it's interesting to think about exactly what George R. R. Martin contributed to this because I, I think he's probably at a level of success now where he can just lend his name to things and, and then bask in the royalties. Um, so I, I wouldn't necessarily ascribe too much of this game or, or 
you know, it's it's sort of aesthetic, if you mm. like, to him. But there are sort of there are little things about it that are are intriguing to me. I mean, it's just interesting that the, I mean. This, this can't possibly spoil anything because it's, it's in the logo of the game and the name of the game and the fact that you f- immediately find huge pieces of a shattered sort of ring all over the place. Mm. I mean, it very strongly recalls the rotating rings of the intro sequence of Game of Thrones. Mm. And yeah. I, you know, I wonder if there, there is, I know obviously you are in the lands between, which I assume is some sort of you know landmass which exists in, in the space between all of these rings um i would it's just interesting to see that 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 image being repeated even if it is uh, even if there's no particular way that those fictions connect um i mean i'm really excited to see where the where the the, the law goes at the beginning i i thought like there wasn't there wasn't too much that f- felt that cogent like oh come on man um, I can't. Well, I, I refuse to believe that you weren't sat there playing the opening cutscene and didn't like that. Your reaction to the phrase "the wretched dung eater" wasn't to like leap from your chair like someone had just scored a goal. Like you know what I mean? To like fucking rip your shirt off and run screaming around your house, like knee slide in in absolute triumph. I've, no, you know obviously I mean? there is there is much to delight in, but uh, I all I meant was like you know, despite the kind of elliptical nature of dark souls story there's sort of like a much more kind of clear holistic vision about what souls themselves mean and what humanity means and what those you know the interplay of those things mean for the hero's journey that you're going on and in bloodborne you've got this kind of the themes of reawaking from a nightmare and transfusion and celestial corruption um none of which are like simplistic or obvious but they they're they're like obviously intertwined in a way and i'm not really sure yet whether you know the meaning of tarnish or the meaning of grace or the meaning of being grafted really connect in in a kind of impressive and in intelligent way um yeah. well, I, i'm excited i think there's there's more as i'm getting into the game there's more signs that there is there's sort of deep things to chew on i was really struck by um how much more explicitly it played with christian imagery straight mm. away like grace is a you know a christian concept and also america and um is explicitly like on a cross it's a kind of curved cross that represents the bottom of the Elden Ring, it seems. But it seems as though, like, it's more explicitly playing with, like, that kind of... Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I, see. Of I, took, I took that to be an, an Atlas uh, image as much as a kind of echoing of uh, the crucifix. Oh, no. That might be just me. Hmm. Mm. Oh, now that's exegesis. Um <laughs> See, I th- I got two senses from it. One is that, like, if Dark Souls is like not just like the kind of subversion of the hero's journey, but also very much the kind of, in some ways, the the path to grace, right? Like, it has a kind of the progress of a pilgrim kind of vibe to it. And as as you said before, most sort of many things about um, divine right in that game and so on. This feels to me because it is notably more like. Um, not democratic, but it's about, you know, a sort of a, a broad kind of questing society. There were two things that brought to mind for me. One is not subtle, right? That you are mm. literally some form of knight of some form of round table is not subtext, it's text. <laughs> um, but also, um, but also I think, you know, to kind of stay on the literary thing for a minute, it really feels more like a kind of, um, 
like the story it's telling is because of the size of the world and because of the journey you're on more of an epic like if if you know it feels like if, if dark souls was more of a kind of um like a romance in some ways then this feels more like the odyssey to me in the sense that um i feel like my my character who is a consistent part of the story is passing through a series of almost like isolated adventures right like i have arrived in the land of the the lotus eaters and this is what is going to happen to me here and now i've arrived in the land of the cyclops and now this is going to happen to me here and i'm learning and appending things to myself but a lot of the game about gives me that vibe and i kind of um and then the idea of the the ring itself and the runes as some great sort of i guess like components of a like a poetic cycle like the fact that your currency is language in this doesn't seem like a mistake to me maybe i'm reading mm. maybe i'm literally reading too much into it but that's where i started to go with it it's like oh this is about composition like you see it in lots of different forms from from the grafted to the notion of runes to the amount of time you spend crafting and scribing in various different ways the your own character in the center of this that you know it's not just it's sort of there's like a kind of um epic cycle to this as well as uh separates it in my mind creatively from all of the other souls games which as you say almost have different literary roots for me um with yeah with bloodborne as cosmic horror particularly i don't maybe that maybe that's too arch but that's that's where i feel like it's going and maybe i need to get a bit further to kind of uh Mm. to ratify that interpretation speaking of writing can we talk about writing can we talk about the notes because I think I think there is genuinely few better analogies for like just what the fuck happened with the internet than what the fuck has happened with this system, right? Because to frame it this way, 10 odd years ago when Demon Souls rolled along, you could leave notes for other players. And these were, this is a small community of players communicating with people they perceived to be like them. And therefore uh, it was largely sort of playful but also helpful and sort of um uh you know um uh quite intimate feeling to get kind of specific advice from some from an anonymous stranger somewhere across the world you fast forward like 13 years or how long it's been and you end up with this game where the same process is in place but rendered at scale it becomes hell (laughs) where every wall in the game has uh you know yeah head written next to it and fucking one of them might be true and well this one's been upvoted 999 times so surely this one is right nope that's just a bandwagon where one person thought it'd be funny to upvote the message that told you to jump off a cliff so someone else did it and slowly and surely through a sheer force of just what gets engaged with gets engaged with you end up with the world covered in deeply unhelpful nonsense rather than um, meaningful moments of interaction within players. They do happen. They absolutely do happen. But I'm really struck by like how off kilter the messaging system seems to have become. I mean, nine out of 10 of them are just fought night. And it's like, oh, it reminds me of uh, the PC gamers Facebook page comments where, Mm. you know, you'd you'd put uh, any kind of... Uh, any kind of article up and somebody would just say one of the nouns of the things that appeared in the picture and he'd be like brilliant 
Yeah, that, yep. that is an eagle. Well, well done. Uh, and and it's, oh, it's, it's, I tell I'll you what, it's, it's made me despair to the point where I no longer find but dot 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 hole funny. And that is obviously like That's the pinnacle sad. of, of human <laughs> plenty, humor. Plenty of those as well. And they should have, I wish they'd gotten rid of hidden walls as a mechanic after in Dark Souls 3 beyond. Like, I just think it's, it's just crap. I mean, thinking that you have to, in certain places, you need to hit walls to progress. Uh, and in certain, and like, that means that every wall is fair game. Uh, and I'm glad that they've taken out, like, weapon damage for doing that. <laughs> yeah. But just don't have them and also make it explicit at the start of the game that isn't a thing <laughs> to existing players. Like, those, do those two things, like, do those two things with just, fix so much of that like it's it's such an old-fashioned idea do you think it would though? or do you think that players would just convince themselves that the game was lying to them and some would still go some would some would and if you can if you can if you have the syntax to say the words illusory wall ahead then it doesn't matter what messaging yeah <laughs> but otherwise you're into the game they could say that but i can't say sadness but hurrah for skeleton in this game and uh, i feel affronted by that personally <laughs> that's good separate a separate cause but at the same time like you know seriously like having loads of identical looking walls and just having having to hit one of them in order to progress into areas is just i think that's another piece of design that should just not be in a game <laughs> unless it's like properly prepared for the player and it's it, in this context it's not fun i've had to hit loads of walls Wasted so much time doing that <laughs> through the course of my playthrough so far. Um, and there was one time or two times where it was actually essential to get somewhere. Yeah, really? Oh, I haven't encountered any yet. Yeah, I haven't encountered that yet. And I know for a fact that I will not find that with the help of other players because every <laughs> fucking wall has that in front of it. Yeah. And also, honestly, when they decided to really... I mean, I get it because you got the ring metaphor. Um, but when they decided to make the word finger such a... All right, deep and yeah. important part of this game's fiction. They must have maybe, maybe they didn't know what must be coming in English, but God Almighty, there's a lot of jokes about fingers in mm. the Tyrion's game. And actually, I, I, I find this. I am really like consistently amused, and I am consistently entertained by the ways in which um, players have found to ruin and break <laughs> this this system like because like because it is continually surprising earlier while exploring i found a message that said message ahead and then i found another message that said message ahead then i found another message that said message ahead then i found another message that said message ahead and then ahead of that i found a message that just said message with an exclamation mark <laughs> and i laughed out loud because i know that the first player had to write message and then independently of this four other people decided to be dicks hmm. <laughs> which is a kind of magic like <laughs> um i love that because you get all your health back when someone likes one of your messages yeah. you're incentivized to put a bant in a kind of key heavily trafficked zone to give you a, a decent chance of randomly uh being bailed out during a boss fight um which is a bizarre game mechanic a truly bizarre game mechanic but like um I think um, I think I wrote something like um, "finger ahead, therefore time for wisdom" somewhere, and 
I, every now and then saves my ass, so to speak. My most, uh, I, I just, there's a place where, so there's a day night cycle and certain things reveal themselves at night, uh, mm. especially around certain thoughts and things. Um, and for one particularly vital one, uh, my most successful message is just try night uh, next to the bonfire, just a completely harmless but incredibly informative and also vital piece of information. Huh. That I, now I has, might have upvoted that. Uh, 78 plus whatever I've not checked recently, but yeah, uh, it's the most successful message I've ever left in a Souls game. Um, and actually, I, actually, I seem to remember like the previous Souls games, the most upvoted ones were mostly the joke ones as opposed to actually like instructive things. It feels like that's been a bit reversed in my experience for Elden Ring, where mm. there's loads of like joke ones that are just like, oh, yeah, it's that same old thing. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, fake wall, liar ahead, et cetera, et cetera. Um, whereas the ones that get really upvoted and go gold, if they've got like a thousand plus, are just like, this is actually a fake wall. <laughs> or this is actually what you need to do to help uh, to get through yeah. this bit, uh, which is kind of nice. There are nice moments of little camaraderie and things. Like I like all of the like whenever there's like a like you beat a boss and you find the messages after that, which are a mixture of I did it and something like, Well done. First off, well done, but now time for sadness, which is <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> um apparently the the amount of Fortnite messages um left around the game has like genuinely caused issues for players in other languages who think that things happen at those forts at night um because yeah. the, pun, the pun doesn't work translated into other mm. languages um which is an interesting thing there's, there's something to be written there about like when when i don't know the the way that the utility of these little opportunities to communicate with each other are massively devalued by just kind of the idea of meme culture, basically, and the idea mm. of repetition as a as a good unto itself in general. And that, in that way, uh, it's it's simply it's either been infected by the internet or it's infected the internet in one way or another. Yeah, there's. I've got one um, final tiny uh, point with this one is that they've made the messages in this one like three D models that could be sort of perched anywhere that anyone can reach. Mm. And it actually ruins environments, like actually ruins like whole environments. If people, you know, you, you come into a new area, you see a massive statue and it's, whoa, that's incredible. And then it just populates with all the 3D uh, kind of uh, messages that people have managed to plot up onto the highest. Yeah. Yeah. That just like break the whole thing. And it's like, oh, it feels as though it does actually puncture the uh, the fantasy of the moment. Um, so I, I, previously there were just 2D kind of like floating um, uh, messages, I believe, in Dark Souls and Bloodborne as well. Uh, I don't think they're actually like 3D like pieces of rock that look no. like a floor. Um, so with that simple change, for me, it's actually wrecked certain reveals, honestly. Um, See, I think for me, I'm sort of a little bit more detached from it. And I end up finding that, like, there's something very funny to me about, like, coming across a statue. And just because someone's been able to jump on top of it, it now has a little glowing rune on its head that says, hooray for jumping. It's definitely like, funny. Yeah. But, yeah. I find it very charming. But maybe I'm being forgiving. Um, one thing I have really liked about it is, I think, for as for much as time as we spent talking about the open world, and all of the various systems that plug into that. 
I think the way it transitions between like those sort of open free roaming spaces and really substantially like designed souls, traditional soul style labyrinths is something that I, I think maybe we've mentioned in passing, but I wanted to kind of land on a bit heavier because I think I've been really like, I was really taken by the experience of having had and being able to flick back to this sort of free roaming experience. But then for example, you know, an early location in the game or like an early significant location in the game is like a really massive and pretty intricate castle basically that has Mm. tons of stuff in it. And I thought um, actually like what it spoke to, and this is something like in the, it felt like, being fully in, a, in, it actually feels a lot like the first area in Demon Souls to me. Maybe it's just because I played them both recently, but um, maybe it's because they're both castles. But like, and sometimes in the way that you, the way that your progress through it flows around and through towers and you know ruined areas of the castle and scaffolding and, and all of these different and the battlements and the yards and, and all of this different stuff. And I thought that was really intricately done and really well done. And I thought there were two things about it that struck me as new to this. If we were going to move away from like what Elden Ring's done in its broader sense in terms of like what new thinking it expresses about those sorts of spaces, which are so familiar. The two things is I was really impressed by how, uh, well, I'll put it this way. This game has the weirdest fall damage I have ever seen in a game. Yeah. Like the fall <laughs> damage, it's like you fall, you know, if you imagine it as like a scale from like one to a hundred having fallen, you can fall 69 and be fine you fall 70 you break both your legs you fall 71 you're fucking dead and there's no middle ground <laughs> i think there's, there's surface damage i think if you land on water or grass and things it changes it oh really because mm. for me it's just like whoop. it's like can you survive this fall maybe um but you can fall a really long way um but not not exactly one foot further um but what that means is that like some of that open world's more freeform feeling traversal present within a traditional souls environment feels really cool when it opens things up and suddenly jumps that you don't think should work do um i've had that a few different ways in this game now including um actually to say this a truly i had i was in a tough environment that uh, you know a navigation challenge that really felt uh like impossible until i while crawling shimmying along a little ledge i saw a message that said try horse and i was like you can't you gotta be fucking kidding me you gotta be fucking kidding me and then suddenly i'm fucking strafe riding a goat horse up and over a ruin to kind of get to something and then there's a fucking item there and it's like someone's written hooray for horse that's a great that's a great example of that system working um but that kind of freedom applied to those one of those more intricate souls environments that felt really super cool to me the other one is that i found that um i think there's a good balance of and it feels like to me maybe eventually you make this tom it feels like some of sekiro's influence coming in because sekiro has really free flowing vertical movement in a way that Mm. none of these other games do and what that often means is there's no point trying to force you to have a crazy run back to a boss basically the the shrines or the bonfires or whatever are usually pretty close um and in this one thing that really impressed me is there is a big critical boss at the end of that experience and the run to it even from the very beginning of the experience is actually pretty quick if you know where you're going and I really found that like there was a really good balance in that environment, particularly between tons to explore and lots of reasons to do the traditional room by room 
souls crawl as you kind of tentatively discover where you can go and where you can't and what's waiting for you. Um, the ability to kind of break out of that using the greater freedom that you're given and the ability to kind of um, race to the end and kind of commit yourself to the, to trying to master the boss battle if that's what you wanted to do, which is what I wanted to do in this case. And I just thought all of it worked really, really well. Like it yeah. felt to me like a bit of a banger in terms of level design. That's um, a really good point. I think, yeah, definitely, Chris, like in terms of um, like the boss run back thing that we've discussed before, the time it takes you to respawn to get to the boss is really somehow across the world manageable um and often quite generous and also um the thing like we talked about earlier about horse mode letting you sort of just nope out of a situation is a huge thing for this game because um often like when i go to a new area uh, and i'm trying to judge the sort of like difficulty of the area first thing i do is hit something and see how much damage i do <laughs> yeah and if it's like oh that health bar did not move then i'm on the horse and i'm gone like <laughs> yeah and, and actually that's actually a like legit way to play it and i think that's how you're supposed to sort of approach things and the horse is also um the horse also allows you to sort of skip past mobs to get to a gray site so you can sort of see more things and sort of gauge your own take things at your own pace once you've actually established a few checkpoints in the open world which is great yeah definitely it's, it's really generous with the grace points i think yeah like um, i i'm always surprised like um i i remember the, the run back to that particular boss actually that i was thinking about i figured i had found the pre-boss grace point and i had done the short ish but maybe like two or three minute run to the boss because it feels like the, the the traditional soul's golden spot is like the run back is not tradition not hugely long it's a couple of minutes if you know what you're doing but it is possible for you to fuck it up in a way that makes the boss fight harder, right? Like it's mm. possible for you to accidentally beef killing some normal enemies and end up crawling into the boss with only half your flask or whatever, right? Like, I mean, dare yeah. I say it, not to call back to a very old series at this point, but like our entire Bloodstained Beast ordeal, right? Where it was like... Yeah, um, and, and also beast, sorry. the the, uh, the Snake Priests as well uh, is a classic run back in Bloodborne as well. Um, yeah. That's a long run back where you have to just be careful. But I was really surprised in, in this that it kind of had taken the Sekiro approach of like, I got to the boss and then next to the boss was another point of grace just to be like, you know what, don't 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 worry about it. Just just practice against this mad guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, and, and so I think that stuff, those are all kind of big wins for me. And I think they've helped me feel, I've hit one boss so far and it's a side boss where the, it hasn't compelled me to keep going with it. And the two reasons for that is because it's at the bottom of a dungeon with an annoying run back relative to most, even in the dungeons. And the boss itself is something I've fought before twice. And so I'm less compelled mm. by the fight because it's like, well, I know what this does. I just got to do it twice. Um, and that's an example, I think, of where the sort of the, the magic has stopped a little bit for me. But otherwise, I've been really impressed by just how consistently it serves up stuff that's satisfying to fight and about the right level for me um i have found and then occasionally you hit something and then you get on the horse and you run the fuck away but yeah where do you guys i know you haven't finished it nor have i but uh do you have a sense of where this game will sit in the Soulsborne rankings for you uh for me it's going to have to do an awful lot to get above Sekiro and bloodborne to be honest but um that's just the first impression because like it takes ages to sort of like interpret 
what the story is and kind of the themes mm. and whether how that reflects on you know the experience you had etc cetera, etc cetera. um but honestly like i think Sekiro and bloodborne are just <laughs> yeah just so good <laughs> i think i agree i think that um honestly uh here's here's spicy time i think i i love bloodborne because of its themes and because of what i remember like because of my favorite moments in it my favorite reveals and my favorite environments i also think bloodborne has a ton of problems even though it's my favorite of them i think having to farm your health regen sucks. yeah, yeah. Definitely. and i also it has all of these systems uh like chalice dungeons which were sort of proto kind of you know the hmm. proto broadening of the soul's experience right um into other ways to kind of explore that environment that i really didn't care for to be honest yeah, didn't get a huge amount out of them kind of ignored them and so when i when i think about bloodborne i have to be conscious of the fact that what i'm remembering is almost like bloodborne's best bits yeah um i think it's still amazing um and i desperately miss that setting and i think i would love them to to go back there or to do something else and it'll do something else that radically different i still think sekiro is the best game they have made um in terms of being complete and uh consumable um in a in like it was like perfect for me in terms of like what i could see and experience at the time that i had to give it and i think it's a fantastic game i think it is it was also their hardest game and hmm. i can understand why that makes it divisive and i think i'd be really interested with elden ring because i think i think it is going to be the game of theirs that is the easiest to recommend um going forward because i think the ways in which it broadens that experience and makes it more accessible are great. Also, I suspect that with time, and it'll be so interesting, we've talked about this game for an hour and a half now, and it's going to be so interesting to return to it, not just when we've all finished it, and maybe it's still relatively fresh, but probably in like a couple of years when it's when it's full, when it's folded into memory in the same way that these other games have, because I, it's had enough special moments for me so far that I think I'm probably going to remember the really good bits that emerged from all of its systems. And I'll probably forget the mad fucking cat statue boss I'm fighting at the moment. You know, <laughs> I love that boss so much. <laughs> I know, but you know what I mean? Like, but it's probably going to, I, I think it's very hard to judge right now is I guess what I'm saying. And like, mm. and I think this has always been true of these games because, and I think this would be my, my kind of final point on it is for all the kind of frustrations and things that we navigated in talking about it, I think they are like very personal feeling experiences because of the amount they trust you to make that experience your own. That's what I love about these games, I think. And I think it is, um, as much as I, I found a lot of the discourse around it a little bit exhausting recently, I think a lot of it is this... Um, there's a desire to kind of almost yank the controller out of the player's hands sometime and force them to have a better time than they appear to be having. And I, I sort of really deeply admire these games for letting me personally invest in how I want to play them and then almost leaving me to it. Or it feels like the game is busier finding fucking nuts ways of reconfiguring what a dog is than it is in telling me how to have fun. And I'll, I think I'll always admire that. To some extent absolutely um uh, we've not really like clarified what the current discourse is because uh, you know we know these podcasts are going to be listened to like far in the future but just to you know there's been a lots of you know pretty tedious stuff about um what ui should be what 
what difficulty means, what gatekeeping means, and stuff like that. So we've just avoided all of that chat because we want to actually talk about the game, really. And I'm looking forward to talking about it again soon, yeah. hopefully. I think that might be um, the end of the first opinion ever had about <laughs> Elden Ring. We hope you've enjoyed thinking about whether a horse is good or not. Really the un- enduring subject of this podcast, if nothing else. Um, uh, you and I always end up talking about horses, Chris. I honestly... I like this has happened every single time we've been on a podcast together for at least a year. I don't know why it keeps happening. I genuinely don't. Because it's been... Maybe... I think they're inherently funny animals, even though I'm quite afraid of them. Um, I, I I will say after the um, uh, just to just to have talked about a different game momentarily, um, after finishing the first encounter of the new Destiny Two raid, I was fucking delighted, which is basically set in a kind of um, like a kind of nihilistic cosmic art gallery uh, gone desperately wrong. Um, I was delighted to step through a huge archway uh, to be confronted by not one, but two extremely avant-garde horse statues inexplicably <laughs> rendered in an alien style. And I was like, I love you, Bungie. Why? Why have you done this? In this case, it's almost like a horse echoing through time. Like it's one big horse, but like with fucking loads of legs going backwards from its hindquarters, a sort of uh, recurrent <laughs> haunch. Um uh, which could, I mean, which is a phrase that could show up in either a From Software game or Destiny, and you wouldn't be able to tell which. Um, I don't know why I got onto that. Horses, apparently, I it's it's the last thing I'll think about before I die, and that's a comforting thought. Uh, if you would like to listen to podcast but video, YouTube exists. That's youtube.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. Uh, we have a Discord channel linked on our website, CrateCrowbar.com, where you can share your opinions about the things we've just said and with each other. Uh, we have a patron. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast, patreon.com forward slash create and crowbar. Uh, there's a website. I've already said that create and crowbar.com. Sorry. My brain has turned into mush. Uh, Twitter at create and crowbar. Is that everything? I think that's everything. I've been Chris Thurston. I've been Marsh Davis. I've been Tom Senior. Thanks for, Thanks for listening, listening everybody. 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 But try fingers. <laughs>